0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app.
1: When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that!
0: Well, I can't say this every week, but we have got a great one today, you know, for a change. New York Times columnist Paul Krugman, Nobel Prize winner in economics. You heard me, winner of the Nobel Prize in economics. How many of you can say that, huh? Not many, that's for sure. Let that sink in, huh? I like to spend the first little part of the show wasting your time. You don't hear Ezra Klein do that, do you? No. Well, Paul and I cover a lot of topics today, but mainly the economy. But as it turns out, when you talk about the economy, you got to discuss other stuff as well, Uh, like the war in Ukraine. You'd never guess how that affects inflation. I'll tell you how. Fuel prices, especially in Europe, See? But it's crazy. Practically everything affects the economy. You wouldn't believe this. Immigration has an effect on the economy. Supply chain? Economy. Early childhood education? Turns out that early childhood education has been shown to have a tremendous return on investment. Now, who would have thought that? You're going to learn a lot of stuff today. Very unusual for this podcast. But if that's the kind of thing you like, then stay tuned. Other stuff in the news, I mentioned the war in Ukraine. No can That's Yiddish for don't jinx it. But Ukraine is kicking ass. They've recaptured thousands of square miles of territory during their new offensive in the east and fighting unfinished letters written by Russian soldiers who are deserting saying they can't take it anymore they're exhausted their, their their equipment is horrible they're they're getting wounded and killed they haven't had any breaks putin is so desperate that he's recruiting soldiers from prison in russia releasing them from prison to fight in ukraine that that sounds like a, a good deal all around it should, and that should really help. The Junkie Patrol, that would be uh, a good movie, I think. The Junkie Patrol, you know, and they go in like a World War II movie, but just update it. The January 6th committee is going to resume hearings. It sounds like uh, the end of this month. Those are fun, aren't they? The Fulton County DA, Fannie Wills, is saying her Georgia 2020 election inquiry may lead to prosecution. Hmm. All I need is 11,780 votes, and you'd be in trouble if you don't do that. Hmm. My advice to my listeners, don't commit crimes on audio tape. Trump's definitely going down, and this time, we're really going to see the end of this guy. It's just it's in the bag. Between Georgia, January sixth, what's going on in New York, Weiselberg has has pled and has to tell the truth, or he'll go away for a long, long time. Rocket man. Long, long time. So that may mean Trump will be back in the Manhattan DA's sites. And then, of course, there is a little matter of these national security documents that he was keeping at his resort and lying about, which even sleazebags like Bill Barr are saying is is a slam dunk. But we got this district court judge, Aileen Cannon, she is appointed now a special master to sort through the 11,000 or so documents, including highly classified materials. The guy she picked is former U.S. District Court Judge Raymond Deary, a Reagan appointee uh, whom everyone respects. Deary has been a FISA judge uh, ruling on a lot of national security cases during his career, but Judge Cannon won't let the DOJ have access to classified documents during Judge Deary's review period, which DOJ says presents a national security risk because we know this stuff includes top secret classified intelligence about a foreign country's nuclear weapons programs and who the hell knows what else, including sources and methods, which means we might have human sources that are now in danger and more in danger every second DOJ can't look at this stuff. So there we are. And Judge Cannon says she doesn't trust DOJ's characterization of this, which is insane. And she says the office of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI can can look at the stuff in the meantime, but DOJ, and my sources say that ODNI can't get access to this, can only get it through DOJ, which I believe over over her. So DOJ is saying that they will appeal to the 11th circuit. And first that would be heard by a three judge panel. And however that panel decides the loser could insist it goes to the whole 11th circuit on bank, which, uh, means all the judges in, in that circuit hear the case. It's the majority of them are Trump or Republicans, but there have been. Republican judge and, and Trump judges that have done the right things. Anyway, the loser then can go to the Supreme Court, which can or cannot take it. What I'm hoping is, is that Judge Deary, who knows classified material, will just turn this stuff over to DOJ as he goes through it. Now, Biden's poll numbers have gone up uh, considerably, so nothing can go wrong. That said, in all seriousness, I, I want you all to get out and door knock, make phone calls. Our democracy is at stake. But first, it's time to listen to Paul Krugman. It's a great one. You know, for a change. Did you know that learning actually makes a sound? It's true. Listen. That's the sound of you learning a new language with Babel. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, Rooted in real life situations and delivered with conversation based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. For example, let's say you're in Berlin and you want to visit the Fuhrer bunker. It's pretty simple, actually. Wo ist der Fuhrer bunker? Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Here is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash franken, Spell B-A-B-B-E-L, dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that, and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie Mobile app today, or visit Angie.com. That's A N G I dot com.
0: You're an economist, right? Yeah, that's uh... <laughs> a Nobel Prize-winning economist. Now, what was uh, the prize for? What, Would you what What was the thing you did?
2: Uh, mostly work on international trade and economic geography, which is sort of. Uh, where things are located within countries as well as trade between countries. And is that important? Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, it's actually hugely <laughs> okay. important. The geography bit has turned out to be extremely relevant now because the uh, we've had this divergence with large parts of the country, places like Jackson, Mississippi, uh, left behind as, as uh, the industries of the future go to places that have highly educated workforces and uh, reasonably sane governments, and um, a lot of it was focused on unequalizing tendencies that are out there in the world economy, and it's turned out to be more relevant now than it uh, at the time
0: that I did the work, which is you know decades ago. Yeah, well, uh, and that's a partly in, or in large part responsible for how divided we are in our politics, where we have blue urban areas and red. Uh, areas that aren't doing as well and a lot of resentment
2: yeah there's a whole i mean there's a whole belt of the eastern heartland as some people call it that although i'm I'm not sure i call the deep south heartland but anyway there's a whole sort of belt of of the u.s from stretching from ohio to mississippi which is being left behind low education lots of job opportunities have been scarce. Social dysfunction is, you know, the opioid epidemic, just being part of it is, is rampant. And uh, that's politics in the United States, to a large extent, runs along that same divide.
0: Now, um, you, you write a column, what, twice a week?
2: Column twice a week, plus two newsletters. I'm a crazy person.
0: Right. You, uh, you work hard. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Everybody should work hard. Not <laughs> necessarily. There's no well, okay.
2: okay. But uh, anyway, but you yeah, can work
0: hard and also uh, take care of yourself. And of course, you and I exercise constantly. We eat right.
2: <laughs> uh, we <we'll> try. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: okay. So, you know, there's so much to talk about. Obviously, we, in, inflation. We can talk about the uh, uh, loan forgiveness. We can talk about that stuff. The last time we talked was uh, arguing with zombies, and arguing with zombies was basically about arguing with these uh, conservative Republicans that they've been lying all along. And uh, Stuart Stevens, who, a Republican ad maker and was, I think, head of Bush's campaign and uh, top on, on Romney's campaign as well, wrote a book called, It Was All a Lie, which pretty much echoed what you said in zombies. I think, which is uh, can can you uh sum up zombies in however long you want to sum it up
2: the zombies were are uh, ideas that uh, should be dead because they've been proved wrong by experience, things like cutting taxes on rich people uh, produces miraculous gains for for workers um, national debt is the most important issue facing the nation, that sort of thing um, that although they should be dead they just keep on shambling along, eating people's brains. And most of the zombies that uh, that matter in U.S. politics, anyway, are on the right. Um, there's no principle that says you can't have left-wing zombies. I think there are a few, but it's it's basically on the right in the United States. Uh, so that was the art. That the book was mostly uh, about these ideas, why they're wrong, and why people cling to them. I think the it was all a lie. Is that what really happened politically is that the US right wing movement used, started out anyway, by using you know, racism, uh, social issues, culture war stuff to get working class voters to support them. But, and then the, the policies, you know, they basically uh, vote, vote for me because, uh, because I'll keep those people down and then um, use the election wins to implement these zombie policies that basically uh, tend to benefit the rich. I think there's been some change right now. It seems that in some ways that the right-wing ideologues who thought they were using the racists have discovered that the racists were using them. <laughs> the question of who's actually in the driver's seat has, has kind of reversed in the last few years. It's not that they've stuck giving up on the ideas. I mean, we're. I can not help noticing. I mean, I've I've been obsessing a bit about you know, Jackson, Mississippi, the capital of a U.S. state has no running water. It's not irrelevant that it's a mostly black city, Um, but it's also not irrelevant that just a few months ago, the governor of Mississippi's idea for how to bring prosperity to Mississippi, which is, uh, you know, left behind as the poorest state in America, was let's cut
0: taxes on rich people. You, you We started this discussion by your saying... There are kind of two Americas or there's this red areas that have been hollowed out a lot uh that are poor, including Jackson, uh, including Mississippi. And yet part of the zombie idea was that uh tax cuts to the rich trickle down and they don't and Republicans get in and they cut taxes to benefit the rich. And of course, when Trump got in, that's what he did, cut tax on the rich, it it Created two trillion right in yeah. in debt, and it was scored that way by the Congressional Budget Office, which was appointed by Republicans. They knew it, and suddenly they didn't care about debt, right? Yeah, Republicans talk about the, and especially these MAGA Republicans talk about the deep state, and there seems to be a real connection to me between the deep state. And I I guess what they're talking about, what is the DOJ and the State Department, stuff like that. But to me, it is the military industrial complex. It is the Koch brothers. It seems that, I mean, obviously, Trump talked about draining the swamp. Why don't people in red states kind of put some two and two together and see that the Republican Party is screwing them?
2: That's the big question, and the trouble is, it's it's hard even to raise that question without being accused of being uh, condescending and and saying well, people are stupid.
0: Well, they're they're they they get a lot of disinformation.
2: <laughs> they get a lot of disinformation. That there is uh, really a, a, an information uh, monoculture. There, stuff is frozen out. It, the the world that someone who gets their news from Fox perceives. There is no resemblance to the world that, well, to to the world that that obviously uh, those of us who have other information sources perceive, but I think it's also fair to say there is no resemblance to the real world. I mean, it's amazing how many people to take an example of something that should be really obvious. um, A lot of people out there believe that Black Lives Matter demonstrations burned America's major cities to the ground. You just have people who think that in New York City, which is where I live most of the time, that, that New York City was in flames during those demonstrations about George Floyd. It's not as if it's a hard thing to walk around New York City and see that it actually, you know, there, there isn't a whole lot of rubble there. I'm not sure that walking people around would change their mind. This is what they've been told to believe and so they believe it.
0: Okay, you write columns every week or uh, several times a week. Sorry, yeah. and uh, so lately it's been a lot on inflation in the last few yes. months. The way they measure inflation, of course, if you hear July, you'll hear what what the inflation over the last year has been. Right. Well,
2: there. I mean, you get monthly data, and and the monthly
0: data was zero or less than monthly zero. Monthly data right?
2: was zero in in July. It's, it's slightly slightly negative. Probably going to be. Uh, about the same in August. And that was gas prices
0: to a large extent, right?
2: Gas prices and a bunch of other stuff. And we can get into that. But it's amazing how many sort of leading indicators are suggesting that that we're going to have at least a few months of very low inflation.
0: That's good. I mean, it's a relief for everybody. If, if you know, I talk to the, the head of Unite here, a detailer, and they knock on doors. So knocking on doors is the best polling there is. And that's what people are concerned with, is their rent and their food and their gas.
2: And those are salient. The, the odd thing is, they're, you know, politically, they're, uh, they matter enormously, even though they're the things over which presidents have almost no influence.
0: And then and, and you've pointed out that if you look at what the inflation rate is all over the world, we're actually lower than, than most industrial countries. And certainly it is in our system of government. It is like, like Hungary is higher.
2: <laughs> yeah. Hungary is, I mean, there's a, the, yeah. Yeah. Hungary, which is, is, is the, uh, the right wing ideal of a, a one party state that is a democracy on paper, but not, not anymore in in any real sense. It is true that there are, there's some idiosyncratic. The, the stories are a little bit different inflation in europe is high partly because vladimir putin has cut off their natural gas supply sure. um, and, and which is not an issue here and uh inflation in the united states is high partly because we had a, a very full employment economy which is not true of the europeans so that there's a little bit more domestic side to it here but the things that people complain about are gas and food prices which are and rent and and well and rent and uh that's and none of those are the result of things that washington does it just not it's not national policy and the uh interesting news particularly you know if you're thinking about the midterm election is that all of those things that are actually not under the control of policy happen to be breaking biden's way uh at at the moment that may not be true 6 months from now but um it may very well be true 3 months from now
0: now uh, the uh, inflation reduction act which basically is a clean energy act as it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's most of that the biggest part of that right is to address climate clean energy and, and then a, a, a medicare a, a healthcare uh yeah and yeah. uh not raising the premiums on the aca yeah. and then i let me help me understand this so what I see is, uh, well, uh, corporations have to pay at least 15% on their profits now where they've been paying nothing. I don't understand that because it feels to me like if you have profits, if your books say you have profits, you have to pay taxes on them. And if they, if they somehow cook their books or use, use whatever they use to get the zero, then they're not profitable. So how, wh- what is the distinction here? I don't understand how that, that works.
2: Basically, it's just one of those things where the law that defines, we have laws that define how corporations report their profits uh, for accounting purposes. And those laws are there to protect investors. So, the corporations are not supposed to just lie about how profitable they are. <laughs> okay. And then we also have laws <laughs> that define profits for tax purposes and those don't exactly match. It is quite possible for corporations to record I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, that if if we use the sort of typical tax dodge where a corporation manages to do some clever uh, cross-subsidization with its overseas subsidiaries so that its profits pop up in Ireland, which has a low corporate tax rate and not in the United States, that from the point of view of investors, Apple is honest and they say, we're making a ton of money. But from the point of view of the IRS, they said, oh, we're not making that money. Apple, Apple Ireland is making that money. Um, and what this law does is it basically cracks down on that practice. It, it forces corporations that are reporting big profits to investors to also, in fact, pay taxes. Uh, and it's not entirely stupid that the law for what's taxable and the law for what's reportable are not quite the same. But it's just this is a way of, of closing the really egregious abuse
0: of, of the tax system. So that sounds like something of the finance committee wrote that legislation to make that happen.
2: That's right. So they this was a they were looking for a way that was relatively simple, relatively enforceable to avoid. Well, to avoid the avoidance. I mean, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of tax avoidance out there, and this will cut into it. And he, there's so much tax avoidance that even making a, a modest dent in the problem is worth hundreds of billions of dollars.
0: So th- this scored as cutting the deficit, right? Yeah. Because of that. Is that right? Yeah. And, and less spending on Medicare pharmaceuticals. That's right. Drug price negotiation is, uh,
2: is going to um, also, again, they're, it, doing even fairly modest
0: stuff can save you a lot of money. But it's called the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, to me, it seemed like a, a, a climate change yeah. healthcare bill with some added, you know, capturing this, these profits from corporations. I, it, it seemed to me like reducing inflation was not actually <laughs> the it, it, thing it's, like that a, it's really going to do.
2: Like the Holy Roman Empire, which was neither holy nor Roman nor empire. You can do some intellectual contortions and say, well, maybe this slightly reduces inflation. But it's called that because Joe Manchin had been going on and on about inflation and was finally brought on board with this, but to be a sop to him to, to say, oh, we're addressing his concerns. Uh, they're calling us to this. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little now, bizarre. Peter
0: Peter's my producer and he edits this and, and, uh, mansion is a huge fan of the podcast. Uh, Peter, can you cut this out? Yep. 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 I will cut that out. Oh, no, uh, I'm joking. That was a joke. Yeah. No, I mean, I, look, it was <laughs> harmless. Uh, <laughs> okay. I mean,
2: I, to, to be honest, um, I, I found that this kind of misnaming here, it, it's less cheesy than, than the way a lot of bills are named. I mean, we have a, a semiconductor bill, which is a really good bill, by the way, to promote semiconductor production in the US, which is called the CHIPS bill. And that's for creating helpful incentives for production of semiconductors, which that strikes
0: me as being seriously cheesy, but what the hell? It, well, oh, wait a minute, but at least it says what it does.
2: No, again, what I, I really don't care what they call it. They could have called it the, uh, the the puppies, unicorns, and rainbows act. that would define with me.
0: Yeah, they go through the contortions to do a, a, a an acronym. So good, good yeah. for them. I don't mind that. But uh, and and I don't if this calling the inflation reduction act got Mansion aboard and got it done. That that's great. And it it may have some small effect on inflation. Uh, and the, the, the student loan relief, the uh, forgiveness. I asked you about this. This is not going to have an effect.
2: Yeah, I mean, to the extent that some people who were burdened with student debt uh, will not be, um, they'll be able to spend a bit more money, which means that there will be a bit more spending in the economy, other things equal than there would have been. And that could be slightly inflationary. But if you actually do, you know, do the math, it's just a tiny thing. It's just never, it's not going to make any difference. In fact, you'll, we'll never know because it,
0: there's, there's well, enough noise it's in the increase data. increase the deficit should. and the size of the deficit uh, affects inflation.
2: That's yeah, the, but yeah. the fact of the matter is that realistically, deficit movements in the range of what we're talking about, even for the Inflation Reduction Act, those are not going to matter. The rate of inflation at this point is going to be determined by what Jerome Powell and the Fed do. If we had a Another, you know, a $2 trillion in one year spending bill, that might make the Fed's job really harder. But we're talking now about sums of money that are really just a tiny – the U.S. has a $25 trillion economy. And a, a, it really is, a, you know, $100 billion here, $100 billion there, and eventually you're talking about real money. But the kinds of numbers we're talking about here are just not going to be enough to, to move the needle one way or the other.
0: I want to ask you about uh, because uh, I'm talking about college debt, the economics of college. This is a big, big subject, but I'm wondering if you have thoughts on how we do college, how uh, who benefits from not non loan forgiveness, but how our higher education system works and what that's done in terms of class. And what, who, who's helped by it and who's hurt by it? Because there are yeah. people who get student loans and never get a degree. Do you, do you have thoughts?
2: Yeah. We used to have a system which was pretty decent, uh, which was that, all right, there were expensive private schools. And those are schools that people from it, who weren't from wealthy backgrounds couldn't afford to go to without unless the schools chose to give them big scholarships. But we also we used to have a system of public schools, of public uh, colleges and, and universities that were heavily subsidized and had really low tuition, um, where working class kids could go, work their way through if necessary. But in any case, it just wasn't a huge financial burden. Um, and a lot of the schools were really pretty good. And they provided an upward escalator for for social mobility. Um, there's, some of those things still exist. I teach at one of them. The uh, City University of New York has quite low tuition. Most students uh, get through without any debt. And it is, according to people who studied this, it is, in fact, a, a a big source of upward social mobility, much more so than, than than the elite universities are. But for the most part, we kind of dismantled that the public aid to public universities was scaled way back. And we shifted to this model where, oh, well, you know, college is great. You should get a degree. Why don't you go out there and borrow a lot of money to be able to attend college? Oh, and by the way, we're not going to do any vetting of the schools so that um, we can have completely scam programs and they still get federally backed loans. So, we, we basically suckered. A whole generation of young people into uh, getting education that sometimes is valuable, sometimes isn't, but in any case comes along with this
0: crippling burden of debt. And what is that doing to this generation? I mean, there are people are getting you know can't buy houses, you know th- they're they're stuck. We
2: we, we screwed a, a lot of uh, people, and there, there are some there are some things on top of that, right? A lot of student debt was run up to get through college in the 2000s, and then students graduated into the post-financial crisis world where jobs were scarce and really hard to get up here and get on the first rung of the career ladder. And there we actually do, we have some notion of, uh, we have some estimates of, you know, how long does it take to recover from the misfortune of graduating into a recession? Uh, and the answer is Forever. Uh, if you if you kind of miss that first step because the economy is bad, then you are in trouble indefinitely. We created a trap for millions and millions of, of kids.
0: You know, Heather McGee told me a, a statistic, which is that black households led by a college graduate have less wealth than a white household led by a high school dropout.
2: I haven't seen that number, but it's quite believable. Now, the, the enduring racial gaps are huge. So, the idea that people are judged by the contents of their character, not the color of their skin, or even by their educational credentials, uh, not the color of their skin, is just, it's just not true in America 2022.
0: And I also presume that uh, a lot of that is uh, wealth carried over from home ownership. You know, after, uh, after World War II, the GI Bill, uh, redlining made it very hard for black soldiers, veterans to buy, and easy for white. And you accumulate that wealth. I mean, that's... Yeah. that's
2: uh, decisions that are made, uh, things that were explicitly racist at, at one point and then implicitly racist later on and now are de facto um, still discriminate by race, those cast a very long shadow. Those can actually right. affect the way things are, not just years into the future, but even generations into the future.
0: Of course. And when we have this debate over whether there's systemic racism and has been in our society, it's, it's unbelievable when people say no.
2: Yeah. Well, I, the, the idea that white males are, are the victims is an extraordinary thing which you would find impossible to believe unless you knew anything at all about human nature.
0: Yeah, but uh there are, are white males in in areas that were you know they they grew up believing their kids would do better than them, right? And and they aren't.
2: Oh yeah, no if you, if you are growing up in eastern Kentucky. You know, a, a a rural white growing up in eastern Kentucky is facing a a, a, a truly horrific environment. It's really hard to to escape from that
0: so i can kind of understand that and that resentment and 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 i think that's a big part of why trump got elected in the first place was that i think americans started feeling you know basically after the the great recession oh boy you know my my kids life is not gonna they're not gonna do better than i i did and that was sort of the guarantee here i thought
2: Yeah. By the way, you see this, I mean, this is not a uniquely American thing. Uh, You can see that depressed areas in other Western countries also have turned uh, to this kind of ugly, uh, I I hate the word populism because these movements don't actually seem to ever want to do anything for people, but still these kind of ugly right-wing movements. I mean, if you think about The the former East Germany is a hotbed now of essentially neo-Nazi sentiment. And again, it's because it's a region that ended up being left behind with few opportunities.
0: We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Paul Krugman.
1: Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about, all from the comfort of your home, isn't a total mystery with bite-clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Bite.
0: Okay, we, we, we have this war in, in Ukraine, right? Yeah. And we don't know how long that's going to go on. I, I do think we've been doing exactly the right thing. I think that Biden deserves a lot of kudos for putting this coalition together and keeping it together and is doing exactly the right thing. Because if we don't, Russia will just, they won't stop, right? Yeah. That, that's what these people, that's what Putin is about. I don't know how long this is going to last. No one probably does. Um, but at a certain point, let's say it ends, and let's say whatever the end is, there's going to have to be, and let's say Ukraine remains Ukraine, there's going to have to be rebuilding there, right? Yeah. Uh, and a kind of a Marshall Plan. What percentage of our GDP was the Marshall Plan? Do you know?
2: I think it was briefly about 2%. I'm I'm pulling that out of uh uh okay. it, I guess would be the, the uh, polite way to say it uh, but right. it's it's in that it, it it that was the peak for U.S. foreign aid we've never actually it's never actually been a big part of our economy um, but yeah I mean Ukraine assuming it it survives um, Ukraine is going to need a lot of aid now a lot of that is going to come from the Europeans yeah as I understand it Ukraine is basically going it's going to be a while before they can actually join the European Union, but they can have a kind of candidate status, which already allows for substantial aid. And you look at other places that were very poor, that the Europeans joined the EU and, and they got substantial aid. And the big thing to say about Ukraine is it's, it's a pretty poor place. The amount of money it would take to be transformative for say their infrastructure is pocket change for wealthy western countries so we can do a a lot it's not going to break us at
0: all well i uh, you know the the best scenario of course is that ukraine remains ukraine and that they can join the european union and they can join nato in other words we win (laughs) yeah i mean i'm I'm
2: feeling I, I, i read the news yeah i try to limit my reading of of ukraine war news to about 7 hours a day um and uh but it's uh, you know they're they have been far more uh, effective and uh, and brave than anyone imagined so um, and it turns out also that 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 mythical powerful russian military isn't quite what they claimed it was so
0: Well, you know, Ted Cruz said that what was great about them is they're very masculine.
2: Yeah. He showed this, you know, yeah, uh, shaven-headed, tattooed guy and saying the advantage of not having a woke military. And it turns out that not being woke, it doesn't help if you're actually also kind of stupid.
0: Also, what, what what he calls woke... It's like having women in the military, basically. (laughs) And if, first of all, there are women in the infantry, there, you know, Tammy Duckworth flew uh, a helicopter uh, and was horribly wounded from that. You know, but if you look at what our military is, think about how many people are in logistics. Think of how many people are in communications. Think, Think about that. That's what a military runs on, as much as, you know, the people, the fighting force, obviously. And that's been Russia's, uh, a big part of their downside, right?
2: Yeah, a lot of people, people I read who actually know this stuff, say that people had forgotten about how important Logistics is in war uh, because they have watched the U.S. in its various wars and we don't seem to have problems with that and they don't realize that's because the U.S. is superbly good at logistics and nobody else can actually do that.
0: We do get into wars we shouldn't get into.
2: No, but. that's right. Look, something I I, I was very very vocally uh, opposed to the Iraq War, and and um, and I, we were lied into war and all of that. But in the waging of it, the one thing that you didn't have American advances grinding to a halt because nobody had actually done. Routine repairs on our tanks. You know, it's uh, the U.S. military is a uh, is is very good at what it does. Now, it's sometimes it's told to do things that it shouldn't do. But the point was that that Russia <laughs> Russia is not America, and it doesn't matter how tough they may they may look or sound. They uh, uh, they don't actually have the capabilities.
0: So um, you're you're saying that in the next couple months next few months probably leading up to the election that inflation will be coming down yeah and that it really is <laughs> that, that biden doesn't really deserve any credit but or much and will get it yeah
2: i mean that there's a uh he got a lot of blame for stuff that wasn't his fault uh, yeah right now he's okay. probably well, you know, to see it in the approval ratings you know the uh, it's probably a lot of it is just the price of gasoline and at some level there's a bit of cosmic justice here for him to be getting credit for stuff that wasn't his doing um after having gotten blamed for stuff that wasn't his doing
0: uh i'm going to make you uh, president and congress uh right now so um what would you do uh, economically in this country if you had that uh that power
2: so, let me just talk about first the, the stuff that is, that I, I wish wasn't necessary, but probably is. We, we probably can't, we probably have to allow the unemployment rate to rise a bit.
0: It's, a, it's amazingly low. Yeah. And in, well, there was a story, I think, in the New York Times on, on Mankato, Minnesota. Did you see that? Yeah. Was it in the, yeah. And yeah. they can't get workers. They just can't find people. And I, I, knew this, this was happening before all this. Um, but in, in southern Minnesota, this is, by the way, why we need immigrants. Yes. Well, that's <laughs> uh,
2: among my list would be to say, Hey, let, let's, uh, you know, immigrants would really help a lot. We could use a, a bigger labor force. And you say, well, how do we, how do we get people back into the workforce, get people to join the workforce? There's a bunch of things we can do, childcare and so on. But the easiest way to get more people in the workforce would be to let some more people in. And um, so that's, you know, again, if, if there were no no political constraints, yeah, some more immigration would help. So we're going to have, but regardless, we're going to have to see some rise in unemployment, but maybe just a you know, fraction of a percentage point enough so that things aren't quite so tight and, and the inflationary pressures come down. And then you talk about what can we do for the future? The way I think about it is in those early days, of the Biden administration, everybody was very... Hopeful. And there were really three, three things that we wanted to, to see done. Uh, one of them was repair infrastructure. We got that. Uh, another was to do a uh, serious stuff on climate. And we got that. But the third was to really invest in families and in children. Mm-hmm. And that's what we didn't get. The United States is actually, you know, we talk about the U.S. as having a weak uh, social safety net, which we do, but the weakness, we actually spend a lot of money on people my age, right? The, uh, uh, we spend a lot of money on, on, on senior citizens. We have Medicare. We have Social Security, which should be more generous, but is still an a, a important safety net. Um, what we don't do compared with other countries is spend on younger people and especially their aid to families with children.
0: The child tax credit. Well, the, example, the child tax so
2: credit was the most immediate. Yes. For a little yeah. while there, we, we, we briefly pretty much eliminated child poverty. We showed it could be done, but we couldn't get the legislation extended. And, uh, so if we come back, you, know, you give me, uh, uh, an electoral miracle, democratic control of, of uh, that's that's stronger than than we we've had this past uh, year and a half, uh, then bring that back and then probably a bunch of child care as well
0: you know and, and and of course the child care means that people can go to work it's
2: even good that a, a, a real inflation reduction act would probably include quite a lot of spending on
0: child care you know you know i i saw this in the new york times your paper uh i the average european country spends seven thousand dollars subsidizes child care per child So the yeah. of seven thousand dollars in the united states is five hundred dollars
2: Okay. I haven't seen those numbers, but I always look at the yeah, support for, for non, non-elderly families. And most countries in the, in the Western world spend something like uh, 5% of GDP on that, and we spend under two. We're, we're just off the charts, uh, stingy on helping people who aren't senior citizens. And there happens to be a lot of evidence this one this one one of the odd things is you think, well, you know, infrastructure, that's steel and concrete, that's that's hard, that's solid. But the evidence that's spending on infrastructure, it's it has to matter, but there's not a whole lot of solid evidence about what the payoff to it is. But we have, no, we have a tremendous amount of evidence on what on the payoff to spending on children. We have evidence, you know, things like like food stamps were rolled out across the country gradually. Uh not everybody, so we actually can compare uh, the results from families that got access to food stamps earlier on, and children who have adequate financial support grow up to be healthier, more productive, more likely to be employed, higher earnings. The economic rate
0: of return on spending on young people is enormous. Well, universal pre-K w- was part of Build Back Better. That universal was universal pre-K,
2: but also nutritionally. aid. I mean, uh, health. Uh, yes,
0: all I of mean, that. But but. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, I'm was. i a big advocate of uh, early childhood education, and all the evidence points to that kids who have early childhood education are, one, less likely to be left back a grade. Uh, they're more likely to graduate high school. The girls are less likely to get pregnant in adolescence. They're more likely to go to college. They're more likely to get better. They're, they're going to get better jobs, and they're much less likely to go to prison. And so it's stupid. The return on, on investment has been proven over and over again. And other countries, this is what they do. They have this. They have early childhood education. Yeah,
2: and it's and what we saw is it's actually not hard, and it isn't even that much money. The thing is that uh, by and large, taking care of young people is cheap. You know, taking care of. Of us dottering 65 plusers costs a lot of money because we end up needing things like dialysis and so on. But uh, just making sure that kids have adequate health care and enough to eat and that their parents can, can work without having to have latchkey kids and all of that. It costs really a remarkably small amount of money for a really big payoff down,
0: down the road. Okay. So that's, uh, that stuff is stuff you would do if you're the president and control Congress.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a way back in the day uh, when Bernie Sanders uh, said he wanted America to be like Denmark and then was piling in on him. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Denmark ain't utopia, but it takes care of its kids. Uh, It it has uh, universal health care. And so these are not these are not pie in the sky things.
0: Every other developed country has universal health care. Every one of them. That's and funny. some have single payer, but even single payer countries like like Canada have private insurance.
2: I spent a lot of time over the years on on health care. You know, there are different ways to do it. You can do it with uh, a system where the government actually where
0: the where the doctors work for the government. Uh, uh, Denmark, England, England but has but they have private insurance even in Great they Britain. They have
2: private insurance on top. Some people have have extra. Nobody is is dictatorially forcing you to use the system. Well, Bernie, that
0: that that was my objection to what Bernie I we would have lost big time in 20 with Bernie's plan because it would have forced you to use the system. His plan eliminated all private insurance. Look, we picked up forty-one seats in 2018 because Americans finally understood what they had and they saw that because the Republican plan didn't guarantee in your state that you would be protected if you had pre-existing conditions, and it got rid of Medicaid expansion. So we picked up 41 seats. By definition, those are purple seats. They turn red to blue. A lot of those districts are are suburban. Those folks are happy with their private insurance. By and large, They get it through their employer uh, who's paying, I don't know, 60 to 80% on average of their premiums. Why would they want to trade that for something that they just have no idea what it's going to look like, single payer? They just don't know. And we, we just would have gotten clobbered in 2020 if we ran on single payer with no option to buy public insurance, which was Bernie's plan.
2: There's a tremendous bias that we all have, which kind of makes sense towards, you know, if if it ain't broke, don't fix
0: it. It is broke for a lot of people. There's no question about that. But for the
2: people who isn't broke to say, okay, we're going to replace what you got with something completely different. Trust us. It'll be better. Um, Even if it's true that it would be better... It's not going to fly uh, politically. So, incremental, I mean, the genius of, of the Affordable Care Act was that it left people who were, for the overwhelmingly, uh, people who were satisfied with their health care arrangements were able to keep them. You know, Obama got in trouble for saying that if you like your health insurance, you can keep it. And there were a tiny number of people for whom that wasn't true. But uh, by and large, you know, it was conservative in that, not in the normal political sense, but in the sense of, of leaving stuff that worked for people in place and then adding on to it.
0: And, and of course, we tried to get a public option, and that was Joe Lieberman killed that. Yeah.
2: So we can try. You know, that may come back. That the most makes important. perfect and look, sense. Of course. And look, it's, it is worth pointing out that at this point, with the extra subsidies for for premiums and with an administration that's actually trying to make uh Obamacare work, uh, we're now down to eight percent uninsured, which would be a horrible number in any other advanced country, but for the United States is pretty damn good by historical standards.
0: And all and all the places where it's highest, of course, are the states that didn't accept right. uh Medicaid, right? Didn't yeah, accept So the- place
2: like New York or California are pretty close. Not all the way, but they're pretty close to universal health care. And um, it's – you take what you can, and, and that, that, that's a, a huge policy win. That's tens of millions of people.
0: And we were almost there in, in Minnesota, too. Medicaid expansion was covering more than 200,000 Minnesotans that hadn't been covered before. Now, now, hospitals have to take folks into the emergency room, and if the patient isn't insured, the hospital has to eat the cost – So what happened in rural areas after we passed the Affordable Care Act, uh, these people now had expanded Medicaid. And instead of the hospital eating the cost, Medicaid uh, paid it, Medicaid expansion paid it. So suddenly there was a, a whole lot of less uncompensated care for these hospitals and the rural hospitals had a lot more money. So they use that to expand their scope of care and pay for more nurses and doctors and technicians and more sophisticated uh, technology and suddenly people in these red communities were very happy with much uh, much more improved care that they were getting and with these hospitals now flush with money they often became the biggest employer in, in the county. And of course, Trump's campaign in in 2016 was all about repealing and replacing Obamacare. So th- they win. And what do they come up with? Getting rid of Medicaid expansion. So after the Republicans' plan finally came out, people saw what it was. I'd go around to red counties and have these town hall meetings in these rural hospitals. And people were in these meetings, they were very afraid. Uh, for example, one one piece of the in, in increased scope of, of care at these in these rural areas was providing home care to older folks. I remember one uh, couple at a rural hospital that was scared; and they were crying because they both worked and they couldn't give their mom the care that she needed and she would have, grandma would have had to go to a nursing home, which would have been terrible for her instead of being in her own home and, and to boot more expensive. And they were crying. I had people crying in these meetings. So, so the Republican plan went down, thank God. And what has happened, all these red States now that hadn't taken Medicaid expansion, suddenly they took it. And by public referendum, this is by public referendum, these are the most recent states to take Medicaid expansion. Uh, Idaho, Nebraska, Utah, Oklahoma, and Missouri. Red, red states.
2: One of the funny things is that even in red states, basic social insurance programs are extremely popular. For me, my, going way back, 2005, uh, when, I don't know, if you remember when George W. Bush tried to privatize Social Security. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> which was uh, memorable for me, from among other things, because it was the first time that my side of a policy debate actually won. <laughs> uh, but And the reason that it, it ran aground was that Everybody hated the idea, and in some ways, the red states hated it more than the blue states because there are more people for whom Social Security is all they got.
0: Hey, can I run a policy idea uh, by you that regarding the solvency of Social Security? It's called the Al Franken Donut Hole. Okay. Okay, here's what it is. I think Most Americans think that you should pay FICA on all your income. There shouldn't be. What's the cap now? Where do you stop paying FICA? It's a hundred something. Uh, it's, it's like 120 well 100 or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So here's my idea. see how Frank is doing it all. Okay. At 120, you don't pay any more FICA, but then it kicks in back in at 400 or 250 or 450 somewhere. And then at that point, but when it kicks in, let's say it kicks in at 250, but then you don't pay the full FICA. You pay a little bit of it. And then at 400 you pay more of it, and at 500 you pay more. It's the Alfred donut hole.
2: I mean, it, in in reality, that's just saying that there's an income tax. Uh, we're raising taxes on 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 high income
0: people. But it goes so it goes into Social Security and Medicare. That's that's the difference.
2: Yeah, though that's the that's you know, that, that is that's, largely know. <laughs> fictitious, right? I mean, <laughs> okay, they, yes, but, so. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, let me give you a. a the the reason that I probably wouldn't go that way, but it you know if I'll take it if we could get it. But um, mm-hmm. okay. the, but FICA is only levied on earned income, so it it sure. doesn't it it's not a tax on capital gains. It's, it's not a tax on dividends and so on. So that's a way of raising taxes, but only on people who make a lot of money in the form of paychecks
0: mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm.
2: others. So this is. A, my favorite line from the movie wall street, this is, this is, that would be a tax that, that would hit the 400,000 a year working wall street stiff. Um, and not, uh, not that guy's boss who's, who's making billions. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, one way or another, the, the, the fact is that the shortfall, the future shortfall on social security is not that bad. Remember we we were, if we're thinking about, um, you know, it's an aging population, um, you know the baby boomers have already mostly hit retirement age most of that demographic transition has already happened so it's not like there's a there's a huge um, bill waiting out there it's uh, it, it's There'll not something more immigrants that, more immigrants would solve the problem <laughs> actually more undocumented immigrants would really solve the problem really, because they yeah. pay fica and then no, don't never collect the benefits
0: yeah let's do that but no, but the,
1: <laughs> uh,
2: but you know, all of this stuff is really, it given given a, a modicum of uh, political goodwill, all of these things are easy to solve. They're just not that much money relative to an economy as big as ours. Of course, my condition there, a modicum of political goodwill, yeah. yes. uh, that's what we're lacking. But that's the problem. Not really, it's not the arithmetic.
0: It's not, the keywords there aren't even goodwill, it's modicum.
2: Yes. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it...
0: <laughs> oh my God, is it bad? Well, that means uh, we all got to. We not only got to vote, but you got to get on the f- phones and you got to knock on doors, folks. That's
2: right. No, it look if if we had if if we had a more normal political balance, a, a normal meaning looking like most other wealthy countries. Um, then all of the problems we're talking about would be pretty easy to solve. Now, uh, not want to say that America is uniquely bad. We may actually be about to have a, uh, you know, a, a basically a uh, neo Mussolini party running Italy pretty soon. So, so we're all we're all having these problems. But the U.S. does not have deep financial problems. It does not actually have deep economic problems. It has deep political problems
0: um well we'll solve that the next time uh, our next podcast together okay okay and um thank you for for joining us and for your friendship and for your uh your column it, it, folks you got to read paul krugman's column and newsletters to me uh they're they're a must read always a must read thank you thank you paul thank you Well, I I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week.